Welcome to the Sugar Science Podcast. Today we are speaking with Drs. Roland Niels and Luca Tosti, direct from Berlin. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves and thank you both for joining us. Sure, thank you, thank you for having us. Uh, so yeah, my name is Roland Isles. I'm from the Charity University Medical Center where I'm heading the Berlin Institute of Health uh, Digital Health Center. And the Charity is actually European, Europe's uh, largest uh, uh, university medical center. And as such, uh, we are very much uh, oriented towards uh, translation and uh, clinical research. Fantastic. And how about you, Luca? Yeah, um, I am a postdoctoral researcher in the Digital Health Center, which is led by Roland. And I am in the group of uh, Christian Korad. And we are pretty much focused on imaging and uh, single cell sequencing. And we are involved in the human cell atlas, um, of course. That's excellent. Um, thank you both again for joining us. Can you give us a, a brief history of um, the human cell atlas or HCA? Absolutely, I can do that. So the human cell atlas uh, was formed as an international initiative only four years ago. It really feels like it has been around for decades, but as a matter of fact, the first kickoff meeting was in London uh, by the end of uh, uh, 2016. And, uh, and the founding uh, 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 brains behind this uh, are and were Sarah Teichmann, uh, from UK and Abit Legev uh, from the road. And uh, they brought together the single cell sequencing community together with physiologists, pathophysiologists, pathologists with the very ambitious goal to map out uh, each and every single cell in the human body. And not only doing this uh, by characterizing those cells at the single cell level, but uh, at the molecular level, but rather also to um, map them out in the spatial context of tissues and organs. I love so, it. Big, yeah. It's a big project. Absolutely. Now, since uh, 2016, only in those uh, four years, it has really emerged uh, rapidly. Um, and for the, uh, as of today, we have more than 2,000 members in this initial initiative international initiative coming from uh, 75 countries all around the globe and uh, covering more than 1,200 institutions uh, um, from which these 2,000 members are coming from. And, uh, and of course, the Human Cell Atlas has a focus on uh, uh, different biological and organ-related aspects, but uh, I'm sure we are going to cover this later in this podcast. Yeah, it, well, it's very impressive and we will. We're going to dig into it. Um, and can you explain the HCA and uh, your role there? I mean, how are you uh, interfacing with it? Right. Uh, so I, I have been part of the HCA uh, from the very beginning. So I was participating in this kickoff meeting in 2016. And uh, I think it was in 2017 that I was asked uh, to become member of the organizing committee of, uh, of the Human Cell Office, which is kind of the steering committee behind this international initiative. And, uh, and I'm uh, kind of overseeing uh, some of the activities uh, of the Human Cell Atlas. Initially, I was very much involved in the, uh, in the setup and design of the, um, of the data portal of the Human Cell Atlas. And uh, later on, I became 
are a leader of this, uh, what we call biological networks, which have different uh, foci, and I'm heading the biological network uh, for pancreas at the moment. And so the, you're heading the, the um, sort of the biological network for both exocrine and endocrine pancreas, or you, do you have a specific focus? Yeah, no, as a matter of fact, it's, it's very much organ-oriented, the way how we set up the biological networks, and not so much disease-oriented. And as such, uh, uh, we have one working, uh, one biological network covering both the exocrine and endocrine part, which is, however, um, uh, it, it, uh, we might break up into two parts later on, because they, as we all know, fulfill completely different tasks of the human physiology. And yet there could still be some overlap and lessons to learn from each um, of those uh, parts within the, the organ as a whole. So it is interesting that you're, you know, kind of encompassing both of them. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, let's see, I, we do want to talk with Luca about the paper, the brand new paper that you've got uh, out. And, but I did want to, let's just press forward a little bit. How do you think, you know, how are young, how can young scientists access the HCA and what are some best practices for using the HCA? Mm -hmm. So uh, the Human Cell Atlas is a community. <clears throat> this community is open to scientists from each and every single level of career development. So we have members, uh, out of those 2,000 plus members, uh, we have a lot of uh, undergrads, uh, uh, overgrads, and just to give you a number, uh, we have uh, close to 200 postdocs uh, being part of, uh, being a member to the Human Cell Atlas and about 800 PIs. So, uh, so I think we are really trying to embrace, uh, in particular, young scientists, and I think for very good reason. Um, the reason being that this will be an initiative which will keep us busy many, many decades to come. And certainly I won't be there by the end of this endeavor. And young guys like Luca will have to take it up from there and uh, continue, hopefully, our successful pace there. So if a, if a scientist, young scientist starting their own lab is interested, do they just reach out to the HCA and is there an application process or how does it work to onboard? Yeah, it's more like a registration type of process. So, um, uh, so, so I think there's a kind of a formal uh, check whether the institution you belong to is considered to be one of the scientific uh, acknowledged and um, uh, institutions around the globe. And, uh, and, uh, and beyond that, there are only very small and tiny formalities to fulfill. So um, everybody who, who is interested and would like to join this fantastic initiative is more than welcome to sign up and, and join uh, this initiative. And, and are there meetings, monthly meetings, or do you meet uh, you know, in normal uh, non-COVID times? Do you meet at a, in event-based meetings? Or how does that work? So since its uh, initiation back in 2016, we have had before, outside the pandemic, of course, we have had uh, meetings uh, every nine months, face-to-face uh, -face meetings, where all the major players, and uh, including many young people, as a matter of fact, would come and travel all around the globe to join those meetings. Uh, unfortunately, of course, during the pandemic, that hasn't been possible at all, and so we are now aiming for the uh, next meeting sometime in two, uh, 2021. Hopefully, we will be able to travel again by that time of the year. Uh, that's great. 
yeah, we all hope that uh, that can happen. In the meantime, is there, a, is there a process whereby a young scientist can gain a mentor as they um, come into the sort of the fold? Or um, do they come in saying, hey, I want to work on the pancreas or I want to work on another organ system? How does that work? So, in, uh, well, probably that's a good question to look at because he has gone through it. And, uh, and, but I can tell as, uh, try to give an answer from my perspective. So I'm interested in, uh, in, in brains and hands who really are fascinated about the work they want to do. And so I don't care so much about their scientific background, what they have been doing before, which kind of training in which labs they have been. For me, what counts is uh, the way they, they formulate their fascination for the field of science they want to do together with me. And Luca, I think, hopefully can also um, acknowledge that I'm also fascinated by the kind of science he is doing. And so we are kind of uh, working hand in hand to bring this uh, wonderful piece of uh, work and scientific work uh, forward together. Luca, do you want to give a, um, a thumbnail sketch about your own experience coming on board? Yeah, so, um, so I had to say my um, PhD studies were actually focused on um, stem cells. Um, I was in general in, in interested in cell plasticity. That's what I was working on during my PhD. Um, but also because of some um, um, members of my family which uh, have uh, pancreatic diseases, actually both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. I always thought at some point maybe uh, I should um, try and apply my skills or my molecular biology skills and computational biology to uh, the pancreas. And at the end of my PhD was actually the time where the human cell atlas was, was starting and um, it was actually kind of the moment where uh, the single cell technologies were, were really uh, kind of ramping up. Uh, so it was becoming much, much more common um, to read papers where people were applying these technologies. And so when I was looking for um, postdoc position, I uh, looked specifically for um, potential groups with an interest in pancreas. And yes, I was really, really uh, happy when I met uh, Christian and Roland. Um, and I learned more about the uh, human cell atlas and their involvement in human cell atlas and the aim that they had to generate um, a map of all the cells of the, of the organ. And so, yes, yeah, I mean, I was, I think, also lucky uh, to meet them, to meet them, and um, and I, would, I was taken on board. Yes, um, as Roland said, even though my background was slightly different, was not specifically focused on pancreas. I joined, and I think I've learned a lot <laughs> in the last three years, and I'm I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, we've heard from a bunch of different scientists who are talking about the fact that. Um, it can be a real bonus when you come to um, the field of, you know, well, I guess any field basically with a diverse background because you've, you've looked at things in different manners and you have this way of looking at um, the, f the field you're going into in sort of a fresh way. So it can be really great if you come to um, a different field with, uh, you know, a varied background. I wondered, um, 
In terms of applying for funding, does it come through, uh, if you come in as a postdoc, does it, the funding come through the Human Cell Atlas or do you have to, you know, kind of just get your funding through your PI or how does that work? Uh, oh, sorry, Roland, maybe you can clarify this. No, I, I, uh, we, uh, I think the answer is very straight and easy. Uh, the Human Cell Atlas is just a, a framework, an initiative which doesn't come with uh, um, uh, their own funding. And of course, there are a lot of funding initiatives that are centered around the human cell address initiatives, but are, are by definition, the PIs at the biological networks and so forth within the human cell address have to f uh, seek their own funding uh, for doing their research. Now, in our case, we were very fortunate that uh, 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 that we participated uh, in a call which was um, uh, opened by the uh, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, um, which, uh, um, which uh, in its first call put a focus on the human cell atlas and uh, trying to support uh, early pilot projects. And we applied uh, for pancreas-related uh, human cell atlas uh, kind of preparatory um, work, um, project, which was granted. And then as a matter of fact, we found out that there were two more of those uh, um, smaller um, pancreatic projects uh, being uh, funded uh, by the Chad Zuckerberg Initiative. And once this initial funding was running out, after that was only like a kick of funding for a year or so, um, we joined forces among all of those three networks, uh, which were initially funded by the Chad Zuckerberg Initiative and applied for funding from the European Commission, so at least for the European part of these networks. And yes, luckily, we were selected as well. So the human cell atlas of the pancreas has actually gone from California to funding-wise to, to Europe, and uh, it's now being taken on from here. But we do still, of course, collaborate uh, with a number of groups, uh, in particular in Stanford, actually, Stanford University, uh, where we um, uh, have wonderful and fruitful collaborations uh, in the pancreas area for many years now. Yeah, I think I saw Sung Kim was on the paper. Yeah. So yeah, he's a very, um, he's an excellent scientist and a really nice person. Um, I um, wanted just to sort of uh, elaborate on this. So what, what are the three major groups that are um, connected in Europe right now? And about how many people of, um, you know, the 2000 members, how many are focused on pancreas? I think it's a smaller group um, because uh, the pancreas still seems to be considered a difficult uh, organ and we probably will get to this uh, once we talk a little bit about this paper. I think Luca uh, was more than 10 times all, uh, just about to give up on it <laughs> and, uh, and I really felt very pity with Luca uh, because it's, it's a really challenging organ from a, tele a technical point of view. And at the same time, from a biological point of view, it's also very challenging because it's not just one organ as we discussed before, but it's like two organs in one, the exocrine and the endocrine part. But they obviously seem to interact with each other. So I think the level of complexity we are looking at is enormous. So in terms of numbers, I don't really know that's a good question. So exactly how many would consider them to belong to the biological network pancreas, but I would think it's, it's less than 50 out of the 2000. And the two other groups that are, um, you know, along with uh, you in Europe, 
Do, are yeah, they a, a charity as well? Yeah. So they're, no, they're, I mean, uh, our collaboration partners uh, are coming from a diverse area. So we have a specialist uh, uh, in pancreas uh, pathophysiology, I, uh, mostly on the endocrine part because uh, um, the clinical out reach of our uh, European funded uh, consortium is actually in type 1 diabetes and uh, and so we have uh, groups who are centered around the questions of uh, type 1 diabetes uh, um, like Benny Geiger from uh, Israel. Uh, then we have a developmental arm which I think from a fundamental uh, research point of view uh, is extremely fascinating because little uh, close to little is known about the changes in the cellular composition and the function of the pancreas during prenatal and early postnatal development and then during adolescence to, towards uh, childhood and if we get to talk about this in uh, when we come to our recent publication i think uh, there there is so much to be discovered there that we put a particular focus on the development aspects and here we do collaborate with a number of groups in the netherlands uh, who provide in particular prenatal um, uh, pancreatic samples uh, from abortion material okay that is that's really a great comprehensive understanding of what the um, hca is and how it's working and i would encourage people to scientists who are interested to reach out um, to to roland and to the hca and um, explore it further i do want to talk a little bit about this phenomenal paper just came out in gastroenterology single nucleus and in situ rna sequencing reveals cell top, uh, topographies in the human pancreas and this is uh lucas the first author and it's you're on there as well uh, uh at the end of the line uh, roland and it it just is a really interesting paper and i wondered if you guys could talk a little bit about it um because you came you really were kind of uh you came across some unexpected things. Yeah, Luca. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, yeah, so um, I had to say that um, we were not the very first um, to perform a single cell analysis on the pancreas. Um, actually, the pancreas has been investigated early on uh, in the single cell field, um, but with a special focus on the endocrine uh, part. And um, this is, of course, for uh, obvious reasons um, for the uh, clinical applications also of these studies. Um, however, uh, as we all know, uh, the uh, exocrine uh, component uh, accounts for around 90% of the tissue. And one of the reasons, uh, I guess, why previous publication did not focus on um, this other uh, part of the organ is, as Roland mentioned, the challenges uh, that this tissue uh, presents. Um, it's, it's, it kind of explodes as soon as you touch it, right? Yeah, it explodes and once it explodes it releases uh, hydrolytic enzymes. Uh, so if you want to uh, extract the RNA uh, from um, the tissue that has the highest amount of RNases in the human body, uh, then uh, it gets extremely tricky. And yes, we were sometimes close to give up, mainly because every time we try to extract some RNA, we would never manage to get any 
cDNA out of these preparations. Um, oh and so the first important aspect I think of the work was uh, actually finding um, protocol which enabled us to preserve as much as possible uh, the quality of the RNA. And I had to say actually a special thank here to the uh, collaborators also that provided us the tissues. So our collaborators both in Munich and in Stanford, because of course the first uh, important step is to procure high quality uh, tissue, yeah. which was then uh, snap frozen and shipped over to us to perform uh, the molecular analysis. Um, and then yes, so um, the first important aspect was to develop a new protocol uh, actually um, I was inspired by very, very old papers, I had to say. I um, love that. Yeah. Well, so like you, were, you were going back through the old, <coughs> the old papers, sort of going through the protocols, trying to figure out what, what, what might work? Yes, yes. And it was quite impressive. Like I, I remember when I saw that people were using these uh, very low pH buffers. And this low pH, of course, inhibits the uh, enzymes. Um, and I mean, I was not aware that using this very, to me, what looks like a harsh buffer would actually not affect the um, content of the nucleus. So the, you, you, of course, destroy the cell membrane, but the nuclear membrane stays intact mm. and the RNA inside stays there. Um, and so then I gave it a try. And yeah, I remember the first time I saw a cDNA track and I was quite, quite happy. Um, Celebrations. Yeah, it was quite, uh, I mean, also people were quite skeptical. Like I remember discussing with people in the lab and they were like, what is this citric acid that you are using? I was like, yeah, it seems <laughs> to work. It's low pH and it seems to work. And that's how it started. And then, and this was basically what really changed then the story of the project because then we could start and move toward uh, data production. And then, of course, uh, data analysis. And so, um, yeah, the first point is, this uh, technical aspect um, and something else that um, probably is also important is the fact that we looked at the adult tissues adult tissue that um, span over a range of um, donors that go from one and a half year old to almost 77 uh, year old so we have quite a wide range but beyond this we were quite lucky because we also uh, got access to uh, neonatal samples and these, I had to say, are really rare. Um, there are quite a, a lot of studies, of course, about um, the development um, and embryonic development of the pancreas. Uh, but postnatal studies, especially in human, are really rare. So mm -hmm. I felt quite privileged to have access to these uh, samples and be able to process them. And uh, of course, the chronic pancreatitis, which is um, then the disease that we investigated in this first work. Um, once we optimized technologies and strategies for the pancreatic tissue, we wanted to test it also uh, in a disease. And it was also actually also one of the suggestions of the reviewer, the reviewers. And um, and so we yes succeeded in generating data also from chronic pancreatitis samples. And I think uh, this is probably the first report of uh, single cell uh, analysis, uh, transcriptomic analysis in the uh, in this uh, disease. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is you know novel and exciting. And then, what did you see when um, you were looking in this in these pancreatic uh, disease samples? So, well, first of all, um, 
we generated, of course, the healthy um, reference. Um, and so both when we compare then the, oh, what we call healthy reference is the adult uh, healthy reference. And then when we compare to the uh, neonatal and to the chronic pancreatitis samples, of course, we see in both cases very different cellular composition. Yeah. Uh, in particular, for example, in the um, neonatal, we uh, see that there is a very um, a different distribution of amounts of endocrine to exocrine uh, parts. So the exocrine seems to be much less in the neonatal. So it's around 50% of the tissue is exocrine, while in the adult is up to 90. Wow. Uh, yeah, and the composition of the endocrine cells is different. So it seems that we have a higher amount of delta cells, for example. And I don't think it's very clear um, the role of somatostatin in um, development. I mean, it's not fully clarified yet. And why you might have more delta cells um, at this stage of development. Um, and the other thing that I found interesting in the neonatal, for example, is um, the presence of immune cells. So we saw uh, B and T cells in this tissue, uh, which are very, very um, low or almost absent uh, in my data. Uh, yeah. in the adult pancreas. And so one could wonder why uh, and what are these immune cells doing at this stage uh, there. And of course with the um, pancreatitis the, the, the difference uh, was even stronger because basically we almost detect no us in our cells anymore. So cells that account for 70% in the normal healthy condition in the pancreatitis goes basically to less than 1% of the cells. Wow. Um, and of course, we have then uh, immune cells, we have um, other stellate cells, uh, which are responsible also for the fibrosis of the tissue together with uh, the macrophages that we identified that also seem to have a um, uh, inflammation uh, phenotype. Um, and then, as we mentioned, we also detected uh, these tough cells. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So can you elaborate a little, a little on that? Yes, yeah, so um, we have a very small <laughs> percentage of these cells. And actually, I had to acknowledge here the uh, great work that was done before by uh, Cathy Del Giorno. I think she's now um, a group leader in Barnabilt University. And she, I think, is really... Uh, the first that described uh, these cells um, in mouse for sure and also I think um, in some human samples um, but I think we are the first ones to really uh, identify them in uh, chronic pancreatitis and there has been um, a few yeah there are there are quite a few papers now um, mainly in uh, mouse I think uh, where the authors looked uh, the appearance of these um, uh, tough cells that seems to come from a conversion of existing cells, so exocrine cells within the pancreas, and they seem to convert into this very different uh, cell type. So the actual acinar cells of the exocrine pancreas uh, change functionally and morphologically into a tough cell. Yeah, this has been clearly showed in uh, mouse work, yes. Of course, we cannot show this in our uh, human data because our is more of a snapshot of uh, what, the ce what cells are there when we freeze the sample. Yeah. Um, 
so we cannot look at the origin of these cells or where they are coming from, but yes, uh, the working mouse showed that there is this conversion, which um, really shows how plastic as in our cells are. And, and somehow this also kind of reconnects with my interest in cell plasticity. Yeah, <laughs> coming back again to haunt yes. you. <laughs> I think, um, you know, can you comment a little bit about this reciprocal association between macrophages and activated cell aid cells? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, one of the um, features of the um, disease is the um, desmoplasia, so the presence of a lot of uh, fibrotic uh, tissue. Um, and it looks like um, stellate cells and macrophages kind of um, establish a positive feedback to reinforce each other to keep this very fibrotic um, phenotype uh, ongoing. And one aspect that I haven't mentioned yet uh, in the paper is that we also perform uh, in situ sequencing, actually is mentioned in the title, yeah. um, which is the first time that this is uh, applied to um, the human pancreas. Uh, but this also enab enabled us to um, then connect the results of our single cell and single nucleus sequencing to um, the spatial um, layer so we can actually look where these cells that we identify are located in the tissue and in case of macrophages and activated stellar cells really they uh, create these infiltrates um, where we have kind of this small cluster where is I can, I can see a lot of activated stellar cells macrophages and actually also some Schwann cells which or something that resembles Schwann cells um, so yeah they seem to really reinforce each other in a prophebrotic uh, phenotype. Do, uh, can I just to clarify, did you say something that looks like a Schwann cell? Yes, yes, that we see in the healthy uh, tissue ah. as well. Uh, but yes, they seem to be together in these infiltrates, yes. That's interesting. what uh, I found. And that's really interesting as well because, uh, you know, you're talking also that the, the tough cells are there the tough mm -hmm. cells are acetyl choline releasers. You've got Schwann cells there. I mean, it's almost like it's it's kind of a neural, uh, you know, sort of a local neural yes. type situation or something. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. Also, um, like the pancreatic tissue and the neural tissue have a lot of commonalities also during development. So. Yeah, definitely something to investigate further. Yeah, and, and so from these data, where are you going to go next? What are you going to do next? So, uh, first of all, we have now generated this uh, big reference uh, that I really sincerely hope will be useful to the uh, pancreatic community. Um, well, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I really hope that this will accelerate science, like that people can really yeah. formulate new hypotheses or do quick comparisons because now you have a healthy comparison there available. Um, and as Roland mentioned, we are also now um, going on with this, going ahead with this uh, project funded by the European Union, uh, where we uh, will shift our focus also more on uh, type one diabetes, uh, which was not the main focus on this of this paper. That's yeah, great. So no, that's fantastic. Um, 
Yeah, probably I can add here because I think uh, uh, it's also quite interesting that uh, they, they were completely on entirely different um, motivations for Luca and myself to work on the pancreas. So I came to the pancreas because, well, in my former life before I moved to Berlin, I was part of the, uh, heading the genomics at the German Cancer Research Center. And, uh, and one of our uh, favorite uh, um, uh, cancer types to look into very intensively by genomic sequencing of any flavor and type was pancreatic cancer. And actually, yes, we published uh, one or the other paper, we had one or the other insights, but basically I would say that after 10 years of research on pancreatic cancer, the results were incremental, or our insights were incremental. And so I really felt like if we really want to make a change to the understanding and also to the development of treatment options for this uh, disastrous uh, um, uh, cancer type, um, uh, we really need to go back one step and first place understand the normal healthy pancreas. And based on our fundamental understanding, which I think is widely lacking in many aspects, as we discussed uh, during the course of uh, when we discussed across uh, um, over this paper, uh, I think uh, once we have a better understanding of the healthy condition, we now can go on and study the difference between the healthy pancreas, both on the single cell but also on the spatial aspect, yeah. compared to the disease conditions. And Luca didn't talk about this, but we have data which we generated by in situ sequencing, which gives us a full-fledged, you know, single cell resolution of the cellular composition in the intact tissue. And it's, it's really mind-boggling if you look into tissues from pancreatic cancer versus uh, pancreatitis uh, versus uh, type 1 diabetes and so forth. It's, it's completely like black and white. It, it, there's no similarity at all. So there's a complete shift in the cellular composition and so forth. And all of this, yes, is not unexpected, but uh, the level of differences, I think, to fully understand at a single cell and molecular level, I think that will potentially, hopefully, help us to better address uh, these uh, very pressing issues in the treatment of pancreatic diseases. Yeah, totally agree. You've really established a landscape of the normal situation, and then now you can layer these uh, pathologies, you know, the, the understanding of the pathology sort of on top of, it's almost like you've established the control. Yeah. So it's yeah. it really great. And I noticed that, you know, the raw sequencing access uh, data um, on the European uh, Genome Phenome Archive is, is referenced in the paper, as well as, you know, you've got like an uh, interactive exploration tool and data um, yep. download available for people to take a look at. Um, so that's, you know, it's just so great. You, you, you got all the data, you created the landscape, and then you basically put it out there for others to use. Very, um, a huge undertaking and an excellent, you know, um, way to, to offer it up to, to other people and foster collaboration. So thank you both for, for everything you've done here. It's a, it's a massive undertaking. Um, so um, I just... I mean, it's really, I cannot wait to see what you, what's coming next. I mean, I didn't know if you wanted to just comment a little bit on, on, on the next, uh, you know, once you get back in the lab or if you're in the lab, what, what sets of experiments are available? Are you looking for anyone to join you, a charity or? Um, yeah. 
So yeah, first place, I mean, everybody who shares our fascination uh, about the pancreas is more than welcome uh, to contact me and I'm constantly hiring uh, um, young and uh, talented and motivated students and they can come uh, from a various uh, different backgrounds uh, like molecular and cell, cellular biology from imaging from large-scale genomics all the way through computational analysis, statistical analysis, and so forth. All of this is required in those projects, and uh, it's very rare that people, a single person like Luca has all of this in his brain. Uh, this is uh, rather an exception uh, as, a, uh, as a rule in this field. But in any case, uh, so where we are going to further continue is uh, I, I'm really fascinated by the developmental aspects. And as I already described before, I think there's a lot to learn. And now we have all the technologies and methods and uh, instruments in our hands, uh, together with the access to wonderful samples uh, procured by our fantastic collaboration partners, in particular this part in the Netherlands, that we are now going to do this at a very large scale. And uh, yes, of course, look up will be the mastermind behind it as well. The second arm for if it comes to diseases between, uh, I mean, beyond type one diabetes, which is a major focus of our, our disease arm of this European consortium, uh, uh, I will at some point surely go back to pancreatic cancer. But I think we still need a little bit more of understanding before I dare to go back to pancreatic cancer for a second time in my life and hopefully make not only an incremental, but uh, you know, a substantial and mind-changing uh, mind contribution to this field. Well, I, yeah, I'm definitely, this, this group is one to watch and I will be watching it. We will be keeping an eye on what you guys are up to. I will comment that we are gonna be speaking uh, next, in the next week or two with Julie Sneddon, who's at UCSF, and she does a lot mm -hmm. of really interesting work on, um, the developmental fetal development and progression of um you know the the islet um as it develops so she's got some really cool stuff to talk about so that's uh that's that's someone who's doing some neat work there um in terms of uh development but i just wanted to say thank you both again for speaking with us and um yeah, really. Um, this there's. I think that this effort is. There's going to be a lot coming out of um, your collaboration that you have at HCA, as well as you know with the other labs, as well as this um, this whole realm of um, set the landscape you've set up, the, the scientific landscape and understanding you've set up, and then from here, I just uh, I was just expecting some really interesting papers come to come next so congratulations and thank you again for talking with us yeah yeah thank you it's a pleasure yeah it was very nice to discuss science here